1: Bring in
2: show music, please.
3: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, COVID news from the CDC and from Pfizer. Pfizer's vaccine over 90% effective for children. What's next? With the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy.
1: The FDA is going to look very carefully at two parameters. One, is this vaccine effective in our kids under 12. Number two is it safe? You know, as a parent, I want to know the answer to those two questions.
3: And ready, set, suck it in or don't. We're talking to the founder of Spanx, Sarah Blakely.
4: This brand has so much global awareness, and it'll be fun to be able to actually really start to deliver and provide products all around the world.
3: Those stories plus Snap has snapped its stock at least, and WeWork's first day of trading. It's Friday, October 22nd, 2021. SquawkPod Pod begins
5: right now.
1: Stand, Becky, by in three, two, one, cue, please.
5: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawkbox Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross-Sorkin. Joe is out today.
2: A lot of things happening. Snap shares, they're plunging. Do you use Snap or use no, but our kids person? do. It is okay. by
5: far for teenagers the the most uh, their most beloved network, just because Instagram it's the one is that they for in, parents. I'm told. Well, it, Instagram they'll use once in a while for artsy pictures, but their right. way of communicating with their friends is Snap. So if they had to give up all but one of the social Snap networks, wins. Snap would be the one that won. Interesting.
2: Interesting. Okay. Well, the company. Um, Despite all of that, <laughs> that good news from Quick Family uh, says that ad sales are being hurt by the privacy changes that Apple rolled out to iOS earlier this year. It's making it harder for companies to sell ads based on information they collect on users' interests and locations. Now, Snap Slump also impacting other major social media stocks, including uh, Facebook. Twitter, Pinterest all down this morning as a result of it. This was I think to be expected though. They said they didn't expect it to be this bad. The online advertising players like Trade Desk, Magnite and uh, Liveramp are also coming under a bit of pressure. But this is I think what- this is
5: uh, this is a lot of things that kind of are conspiring at this point. There there was in the New York Times had that story about Facebook was it over the weekend. Right. Uh, looking into it and their concerns were that teen users weren't using as frequently that it had gone up to three to four hours during the pandemic. And maybe that is not going to not only continue to climb, but that's going to come back down by an hour or so a day because kids have other things that they're doing. And I think that must be impacting all of these social
2: networks to some extent. My question to you, though, is when you get a new app on your phone and it says allow you to track. No, you say (laughs) no. I know you. So you say no. I think most people probably say no. And so I do think this is probably a much harder business to be in if you are a Facebook or a Snap or somebody who relies an advertising. I,
5: I think uh, teenagers tend to not say no as much do you because, think so? be because they like having their friends out. first of all they like tracking where all of them are I know right. they, they keep track with each other and just do that and you can't do that if you don't turn it on, on the phone so I think teens are less likely to say those things but it does show that these changes with the Apple privacy issues right. are, are going to be a much bigger impact that the market probably didn't really figure out it's the the weakness that you have for all of these apps is they're not collecting the first party data necessarily right. themselves they were relying on Apple to do it okay, and they but give can them I
2: also say it. the other side? Yeah. Which is, I noticed the ads for me on Instagram are not as good as they used to be.
5: Oh, they work for me.
2: You, I mean, they work for you as in. The-
5: I bought this dress from an ad on Instagram. Okay. So they, 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 definitely capture me with some of those okay. things. But I'm not the target audience by a long shot on anything.
2: So oh no, you are. We I, all are.
5: Well, anybody with money, I suppose, is. But not for the ones that they're really caring about with the teens and going through. And You're the other thing, I'm still I'll a say, millennial. Well,
2: <laughs> at heart, <laughs>
5: not. But that, what I will say is. The other issue is there's not going to be as much advertising right now. The supply chain issues, I kept thinking right. about that. If you are somebody like a Mattel or another company that can't get enough of your product in for Christmas time, how how much are you actually going to be advertising? advertising. That's actually you, don't, a very you don't need question. to spend on advertising if everything is selling out before you right. place a single dime on advertising. So I think all of these issues are kind of.
2: Coming together at coming one time. Coming together
5: at one time, and this is after the stock has had a really big run-up. So um, all of those factors kind of together. However, we are seeing a tale of two tech giants this morning. While Apple's privacy changes are slamming social players, Google slashed the fees that subscription-based apps are charged for the Play Store that they have, and that's in a number of the stocks that uh, kind of rely on that surging yesterday. Among them, you had Duolingo, which was up by 13 percent, Match Group up by 10 percent, Bumble up by 8 percent, and then Roblox
2: up by 6 percent. Some uh, global market news this morning. Shares of Evergrande, they're on the rise. This is what happened. Overseas trading after the Chinese property developer reportedly made a key bond payment. The battle company reportedly made the roughly $83 million payment today. After missing it, though, last month, that triggering a 30-day grace period, which was set to expire tomorrow. Of course, now the question is, has Evergrande uh, going to miss? Uh, I'm sorry, it wouldn't would have entered a default if it hadn't, but there are additional payments that are to come. So this this story is not over yet.
5: And, you know, we just said tale of two city with the tales of technology. It's the same thing here. If you are a, a Chinese investor, you're much better off than if you are an overseas investor who's been who's been relying on these things. That it's the right. overseas investors who very likely, you know, China doesn't care about that at this point. They are much more concerned about their own economy. And by the way, you took the risk on this. So. It is concerning about the rule of law, see what happens. And it's investor beware at this point if you're coming from overseas. I think.
2: I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> we are watching shares of WeWork this morning. The stock popping more than 13% yesterday as the office sharing firm finally went public through a SPAC deal. Caps a long journey for a company that was once valued as high as about $47 billion, but its initial IPO plans imploded, as you might remember, back in 2019. While the company's leaders were at the NYSE for the opening bell, where we were, founder Adam Newman was holding his own little party of sorts with dozens of former employees and his co founder yesterday morning at the bell.
1: Thank you all so much for coming. Miguel and I couldn't be happier than to celebrate this with our original team. We're just so proud today and for this day. And we just wanna congratulate the current WeWork team and we congratulate Marcelo and Sandeep for executing on this team's vision.
2: It's an interesting dynamic because here's a guy who did create something that's obviously now of value, $10 billion of value, not $47 billion of value. Clearly made a lot of mistakes along the way. The company could have could have demonstrably imploded. And so how much credit do you give him or don't give him for what's happened? He clearly caught the right trend, but then made lots of mistakes. Does he
5: recognize that? I mean, because his public persona has never been one that seems to take on any sort of um, remorse for the implosion that took right. place. And granted, it, it, this did wonderfully yesterday. The IPO came out well, right. but that's because when you're looking at 10 billion, that, that, that maybe it makes valuation. sense for the, the, right. for the 46 billion that they got so to. This is the
2: part I always, I always look, I think there were some conflicts of interest, which we've talked a lot about before, in terms of at one point he was buying buildings and renting them to, to WeWork. There were the issues of plane and governance and how the company was used, selling the trademarks back and forth. But then when you say to yourself about the valuation, who created the valuation? I don't believe that the valuation was created by Adam Newman. The valuation was created by bankers and investors and, frankly, folks like Masasan at SoftBank who were willing to do that. Now, the flip side is, all of a sudden, you have this valuation. Then you go out and hire new employees and say, I'm going to pay you in stock because it's based on this valuation. So the, it's, other,
5: the other thing was is that... He always seemed kind of crazy with the things that he was talking about, like how he was going to run in Israel for office, right. how was, and, and how he was going to turn this very... into a lifestyle and a work. They, right. they, they, they seemed to live on a different planet. It was always like, what is he talking about when you listen to some of this stuff? And obviously some people believed it, but right. then it just felt like, okay, the market at some point said the emperor was wearing no clothes. And that that's just kind of seems how it all fell apart around that. The other thing is, is so interesting that he's not down at the New York Stock Exchange right. yesterday. They don't want him there. You know, I'm right. sure he wasn't invited to come up on the belt. This is like Travis Kalanick when, right. when Uber came out. And by the way, this guy makes Travis Kalanick look pretty good in, well, in retrospect.
2: That, that's actually a very interesting question. Did Travis, I wonder how history books will look at Travis because we all use Ubers now. And depending on what happens to WeWork, right? right. You'll look back and maybe, I don't know. It's know. just,
5: it, it, there's so much there. It's so yeah. interesting. It's, yeah, you know. Drama. It is. Drama. It is.
3: Next on SquawkPod, the latest in the fight against COVID. Vaccines for kids, vaccine boosters, and the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy.
1: My general recommendation is for people to get the booster if they're eligible. And here's why. Because the point of the boosters is to extend and enhance the already good protection that people have been getting from the vaccine.
0: a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
3: welcome back to squawk pod today with becky quick and andrew ross sorkin this morning the cdc approved booster shots for moderna and johnson and johnson's COVID vaccines the agency recommended the moderna booster for elderly people and at-risk adults six months after they got their second shot and the cdc endorsed j and j boosters for everyone 18 and older who've received the initial shot at least two months ago those boosters could all be available as soon as today Now, the big question we've all been asking, can we mix and match vaccines? The panel didn't specify which vaccine should be used as a booster, and instead suggested doctors decide whether to mix and match the company's vaccines on a case-by-case basis. Also this morning, big news from Pfizer. The company submitted FDA briefing documents detailing results of its clinical trial for kids. As it turns out, Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine was more than 90% effective, and kids age five to 11. Becky and Andrew spoke to the US Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy this morning.
5: Here's Becky. Doctor, thank you for being here.
1: Of course, it's good to be with you today.
5: So there's been a lot of confusion around the booster shots. At this point, anybody or anybody who's had a J&J vaccine is eligible for a booster shot. Uh, people over the age of 65 are eligible for it. Um, and then there are a lot of other qualifications of people who are at heightened risk for that as well. I think the question is, Is this, they are eligible for this and can get it, or are you saying they should?
1: Well, it's a great question. So let's just review what the FDA and CDC are recommending. They're saying, number one, if you are a Johnson & Johnson vaccine recipient, and if you're someone who got the vaccine two months ago or more, then you are now eligible for a booster shot. Second, they're saying if you got the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine and you're more than six months out, you are eligible as well if you fall into one of three high-risk categories you're over 65, you've got other medical conditions like diabetes or high blood pressure that put you at higher risk, or you live and work in a place where your risk of exposure to COVID is greater. You know, in terms of whether you should get that or whether it's just a possibility, my general recommendation is for people to get the booster if they're eligible. And here's why. Because the point of the boosters is to extend and enhance the already good protection that people have been getting from the vaccine. We know that some vaccines, you know, many vaccines that we've looked at over time, some of them do decrease in their efficacy over over time. It doesn't mean the vaccines don't work well. It just means sometimes they need a boost to keep the protection going.
5: We have heard this week that in the U.K., um, the numbers have increased pretty drastically to the point where it has concerned doctors and hospitals in that country. Uh, And they are now asking for some restrictions to be put back in, whether that be wearing face masks or other issues. Uh, Do you know why the case count is up there? Is it because the vaccine's efficacy is worn off? Is it because there haven't been enough vaccinated people or something else?
1: Well, there could be several factors accounting for the UK's rise in cases, but one of them that I'll point to is the fact that it's getting colder. And when the weather gets colder, we know that people go indoors, and indoor settings are, are better setups for the spread of COVID 19 than outdoor settings. We also know that the virus in general is better transmitted in cold weather, which is why you see so many respiratory viruses spread during the winter months. Look, we had a, a big surge last winter here in the United States. What's different now for us in the US is we have 190 million people who are fully vaccinated. So it means there are about 65 million people who are eligible who are not fully vaccinated. And that's where we've got a lot of work to do because we want as many people as possible to have protection that will help keep our numbers down as winter approaches.
5: One group that has not been allowed to be vaccinated at this point are children, anybody under the age of 12. Um, we're anticipating that that approval will come in the next couple of weeks. How confident are you in that approval? And then what concerns do you have on the news? We just heard from Pfizer saying that 90.7% uh, uh, efficacy is there in these clinical trials for kids age 5 to 11. But they also admit that the trial's not big enough to really determine if there's or detect if there's any potential risks of myocarditis.
1: Well, look, this is a very important landmark that we are approaching, which is a possibility of having a vaccine for kids under 12. I say that not just as Surgeon General and as a doctor, uh, but as a dad of two kids who are under 12 who has been eagerly waiting this moment. The FDA is, is reviewing the data right now, and within the next few weeks, I anticipate we will hear a decision from them. Their advisory committee is meeting later this month. The CDC advisory committee is meeting in the first week of November. And soon after that, we should have recommendations from them on what to do. Here's also what's important to know uh, about kids, though. You know, the, the FDA is gonna look very carefully at two parameters. One, is this vaccine effective in our kids under 12? And number two, is it safe? You know, as a parent, I wanna know the answer to those two questions before, you know, I make a decision on getting my child vaccinated. I think millions of parents do as well. So they will not put forward a recommendation to get vaccinated if they don't feel confident about the safety. Now, finally, to your point about rare side effects, there are there 's a reason that we continue to follow uh, people after they start getting a vaccine, uh, even after the trials and the authorization is given because if there are rare side effects, really rare side effects, you may not see them you know until millions and millions of people have been vaccinated but again, the mm-hmm. point here is that there 's going to be likely strong benefit to the, the getting vaccinated if the fDA chooses to authorize it because we know there 's a lot of covid around we know covid is not benign in children hundreds of children have died from it thousands have been hospitalized. And many have struggled now with long COVID, which are the prolonged symptoms of COVID that can last for months after infection.
2: Hey, doctor, a lot of business leaders are watching this broadcast this morning, and uh, many of them have already put in um, mandates for vaccines. How do you think about mandates for boosters, which is to say that uh, for those over certain ages, over time, as you said, uh, the efficacy is going to wane, and uh, there's going to be Questions about whether people can infect others, that's been the whole purpose of uh, this. I know there's a debate about vaccines, whether the vaccine is to prevent infection completely or hospitalization on the other end, but um, what's your advice to those watching you this morning?
1: Well, first I would say to the businesses that have put in requirements already, uh, I I just wanna say that 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 is a move uh, in in the direction of public health and creating safer workplaces, safer places for people to to buy products to get groceries. Uh, safer places. More broadly, we're seeing for kids to learn in universities and other settings which now have requirements. So it's a step in the right direction in terms of creating a safer environment for us. What I'd also say in terms of boosters is that whether or not boosters end up being part of the requirement will really depend on the CDC's definition of who is fully vaccinated. Right now, they're saying the definition remains uh, someone who's gotten two shots of the Pfizer Moderna vaccine or someone who's gotten one shot of J&J, but they will continue to evaluate that and they may change that over time. If that does change, uh, then, you know, a booster may be part of the requirement. But for now, a booster is not part of what's required to be fully vaccinated, not part of the requirements.
2: And as a doctor, and I know you're not going to want to weigh in, but since, since it's being left up to doctors, I'll ask you, you can be our doctor. Uh, if you have taken Pfizer or Moderna and you're looking to get a booster, which one do you
1: take? A great question. And, uh, you know, if you've gotten Pfizer and Moderna and if you did well with your primary series, I think it's quite reasonable to stick with what you got originally. And the good news is that for Johnson & Johnson, you know, you've got good options now available. The, the data showed that folks who got J&J and who got boosted with Moderna or with Pfizer, they had a really strong antibody response. And the antibodies, again, are those uh, soldiers in your immune system's army that help battle infection and viruses. Uh, it also showed, though, that if you got J&J as a booster, uh, in the clinical studies, looking at outcomes, that you had a pretty high degree of protection against severe disease. So the bottom line is, we have good options now. We have flexibility in terms of which vaccine you get. And the boosters will extend and enhance people's protection. So if you're eligible, I would urge people to go out there and get that booster shot.
5: Dr. Murphy, thanks for your time today.
1: Cheese will be next.
3: Next on Squawk Pod, betting on billion-dollar shapewear. Blackstone's Ann Chung on Spanx and her firm's big investment.
6: The word that women use most in describing their relationship with Spanx to Sarah is grateful. That kind of genuine emotional connection between the brand and the product and the consumer, it's very rare these days.
3: And Spanx founder Sarah Blakely right after this break. This is Squawk Pod.
5: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is out today. The billion-dollar shapewear brand Spanx is taking its first outside investment ever. Blackstone has purchased a majority stake in the company that values the company now at $1.2 billion. Joining us right now to talk more about this is Sarah Blakely, who is the Spag's founder and executive chairwoman now, and Ann Chung, who's the global head of consumer for Blackstone Growth. And and ladies, welcome to both of you. Thank Um, you. Sarah, I just have to say, we've known each other for a very long time. I have watched this brand grow. I have watched uh, what you've done over the years. And you've always said that You didn't know when you'd take an outside investor but you'd know it when you saw it so what happened why did you do this now you know i mean for
4: 20 years people have been asking to buy Spanx or invest in it and i've always operated off of my gut and i was like i'll know i'll know when it's the right time for the business i'll know when it's the right time for me and so you know and i was always very quite nervous about who who would this be And once I met the Blackstone, you know, the team at Blackstone and Anne in particular, I felt so at ease. It was like we were aligned on what we saw for the brand, the mission for elevating women. It was an all-female deal team. There was just... It was very natural from the very beginning, and it gave me just a lot of comfort that this is the right
5: next step and chapter for the brand. And how did you run into Sarah? Was this like a a chance that you guys ran into each other? You were kind of looking at Spanx, you were watching what was happening there, and you were interested.
6: Yeah, we've been following Sarah and her story, her incredible story for a long time now, and it's a brand that we've, been loving to loving from afar, and it's something that we really wanted to be associated with. And so, we've been spending a bunch of time uh, talking with Sarah and, and just trying to figure out what a partnership might look like. And it just sort of was fortuitous and can, all came together.
5: Let, let's back up for the viewers who don't know the story as well yeah. as I do because <laughs> I, I love this story. You started 21 years ago, yeah, you had five thousand dollars that you'd kind of cobbled together because you'd been selling fax machines, which yeah. if that doesn't tell you how long you've been working at this. You cobbled it together and, and you did this because you just wanted your rear to look better in a pair of white pants. <laughs> That's a great summary.
4: <laughs> I couldn't figure out what to wear under a lot of the clothes. And so, you know, undergarments were flawed. You could see them under what we wore. And I was looking for, so I was a frustrated consumer. I mean, I had no, never taken a business class and I wanted to invent this one first undergarment that I knew would change the way I could wear clothes. And then when I stood on the manufacturing floor 21 years ago to make this product, I looked around and I was the only woman in the room. And that dawned on me like I want to speak up for women and advocate for women through product because the people who were wearing the products all day, I mean, making the products weren't wearing them all day. And I thought, guys, we could make these so much more comfortable and so much more functional. And you know, there's a lot of things about clothing that that hang in our closet because we don't know what we're supposed to wear under it. So Spanx became, kind of became the canvas for our wardrobe. You know, it's like a painting. Like if you don't have the right canvas, it affects the art (laughs) and the painting. And so, that became a, just a passion to continue to make things better for women for the last 21 years. Spanx is so much
5: more than that now. I mean, you're wearing jeans that are Spanx right now. Yep. It, you, there are. Skirts, I'm wearing a there bra that I won't
4: show you that Spanx <laughs> right you.
5: now. I'm not sure that this show allows that, but yeah, I'm wearing bra. Hallelujah! Bra. Hallelujah! Yes. <laughs> are you wearing bra? Uh No, not this morning. <laughs> um, but, but you're also facing a much more competitive landscape. I mean, you look at just everybody who has copied who has. On And the idea that some consumers don't want shapewear at this point, too, especially after we just spent, uh, I don't know, two years sitting around at home in sweatpants. So how do you kind of get into that? Where does the industry stand today? Well, we've had competition the whole time. I mean, to me, what's happening right now
4: doesn't feel any different than the last 21 years. A lot of people go into this category and quickly exit it after about two years because shapewear is really easy to, to make and really hard to get right. But what I'm excited about the brand is the magic that we created in Spanx and how we kind of defined a category and revolutionized it, we're now doing in apparel, and active. And our consumers have been saying, hey, put the magic of Spanx in in the clothing that I'm wearing. And so now Spanx is, you know, as you know, we've expanded into so many other areas that are just taking off and the consumer's thrilled. And I get excited about how I can
5: make things better. And there's still a lot left to make better for women. And what's the opportunity you, you see at Blackstone here? What, what, why Spanx? Why this arena? Well, what
6: we saw in Spanx is just an incredible brand. As, as you know, it's a staple in, in many women's closets. It's a brand that resonates emotionally with consumer. You know? Uh, Sarah and I, one of our first meetings to sit down and talk about this partnership, she told us that the, the word that women use most in describing their relationship with Spanx to Sarah is grateful. That kind of genuine emotional connection between the brand and the product and the consumer, it's very rare these days. And so taking that coupled with this incredible expansion that Sarah's brand has seen and the team that they've built over the last few years, both in terms of expanding into this broader apparel category but also in the digital transformation of the business. The business has really emphasized the direct-to-consumer channel and Spanx.com has seen tremendous growth even prior to the pandemic. So that's really been the foundation to build off of. I
5: mean, that's a big deal because Sarah, when you started out, you were going to Nordstrom's and standing in the stores and yeah. trying to convince people to wear these things. What's it like right. to not have that as much? You're not, not that you're not in those stores, but to be able to go directly to the consumer. I'm gonna tell you what it feels like. My feet hurt way less.
4: <laughs> I mean, I stood for eight hours a day in Neiman Sachs Nordstrom when I first started promoting Spanx and trying to tell women what the product was and showing Demons, the before right. and after picture. And um, now to be able to have such a strong digital presence and have women you know, discover the brand and see the magic of the brand through this, what it's What are your sales
5: direct-to-consumer versus through uh, traditional stores? O- over 70%
4: direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. at this point, Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it's huge, especially because we, you know, we started as a very wholesale-based um, business, and we still have fantastic wholesale partners, but the digital uh, presence for Spanx has really grown.
5: Is that a big part of it, Anne? It's just the it, being able to go to direct-to-consumer, you watch a brand like Nike that has really made that transformation. There aren't
6: very many brands that have been able to successfully make that transition. And I think what we really saw was that the consumer was following the, the company and the brand, whether they were putting shapewear out or leggings out or jeans out. And they were following all of the products and being very loyal to the brand, but also following the brand from the wholesale channel into the direct-to-consumer channel. And that's what we really saw.
5: What are your margins, can you say, for direct-to-consumer versus through We don't. We don't going to try. I know. <laughs> it's, okay. it's OK. You know, well, let's talk about what's happening in the industry right now, because, again, you did this yourself, found sourcing in America. Where was it down in North Carolina? Yeah. Is it? So you found sourcing yourself when you first started making these things. It, it, the supply chain issues right now have gotten so complicated. Yep. Uh, inflation has gotten to be a big deal. Commodity prices have gone up. How do you handle all of those things?
4: I mean, we're navigating the waters like so many other companies, but the supply chain hasn't impacted us too much. So, you know, we've been able to really plan ahead with the inventory and we're about to go into our most robust quarter. And so we feel very prepared for that and just grateful that, you know, women are still loving all the products and able to get it through dot com.
5: And there's been um, a lot of focus on women led Companies And you think of somebody like Reese Witherspoon and the interest around her company at this point. Why is that happening right now? And how do you kind of capitalize on that?
6: Yeah, I think that the impetus for the excitement around those businesses are strong entrepreneurs that have recognized the opportunity for many years, right? Like Sarah and, and Whitney at Bumble and, and Reese at Hello Sunshine. I think Blackstone's realizing the power and the potential that those entrepreneurs have really put forth. Um, and it's been an exciting time in that space. And so we're really excited to be partners with all of those women.
5: Sarah, I guess that mattered to you that you were dealing with an all-female bankers team, of an course. all-female board of directors is on the on the. Lens on the list for this it was
4: hugely important to me and i loved that a partner was talking to me about it and they already recognized that and felt that way themselves you know so it was it was just very wonderful to see and obviously having a bunch of women involved we are the consumers and so that's just very natural and organic for how we're going to look at the brand
5: and continue to grow the brand What, what will you do with the investment what what do you need the funds for what what comes next
4: well expansion internationally for sure i mean this this brand has so much global awareness and it'll be fun to be able to actually really start to deliver and provide products all around the world for women in spanx and then expansion in other categories continuing to build out what we're doing you're still involved you're not going anywhere right, right. i'm still involved i still own you know a significant uh, portion of the business and my passion is product, so I continue to want to play a real big role in product and overseeing that. So, so Sarah, it's been 21 years. Yes, um, my baby's like
5: <laughs> <laughs> out of college. It can now legally drink. It's 21 years. Did you, when did you first start thinking that this was going to happen, that this deal would be the one? How long was this in the making?
4: Um, I would say, what, like months, five yeah. months maybe, you know? talking and really thinking about it, and then I'm really big into signs, and I got a very direct sign that this was the right partnership, so. What was the sign? Oh, it was really, I'll talk about it maybe in my book one day or something, but it was, I got a very direct sign, that's all. I just want to say I got a sign to start the business, and then I got a sign that this was the right thing to do, and that made me feel really good, but there were a lot of things, you know, happening that made it very clear to me that this was the
5: right partnership. And having come through the pandemic, what what happened to the consumer during the pandemic? What did you notice in terms of changes? And, and where are we right now? You know, where is she right now, the consumer? Well, I've seen this trend for a long time. And in fact, like
4: I, my, my North Star was comfort. 21 years ago, I was like, I got to make things more comfortable. Like we're really uncomfortable in the undergarments that are being made. So I think that she's just really voting for comfort even more through the pandemic. And I'm happy that the industry and, you know, everybody's stepping up and saying, this is a priority. We need to focus on this, but that's, that's our core strength. So she came to us for all the things that we make that were really comfortable, that she could be in her home and work from home and manage the pandemic. You know, I have four small children. I lived in Spanx leggings and a lot
5: of Spanx throughout the whole pandemic. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you very much for joining us and coming here with us. And Anne, it's really a pleasure to meet you. you. Thank you for coming here too. And uh, we hope to check in with you as this continues and you get your next plans underway too. Thanks, Becky. Thanks, guys. Great to see you.
3: That does it for Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Thank you for listening as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, you know what to do. Listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend.
1: We are clear. Thanks, guys.